This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to Tuesday's Late Late Show. My name is Catherine Taylor. My special guest tonight is Colin Rudgley, who is a full-time teacher working in the UK. Among other things, we'll be talking about Colin's experiences and views on CPD. Really looking forward to hearing from Colin and having some exciting chats about CPD tonight. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the Late Late Show everyone. I'm Catherine Taylor speaking to you live from Buckinghamshire. On today's show, I'll be talking to Colin Rudgley. I'll be talking to, talking to Colin about a number of things, including his experience of, C, of CPD. Um, Colin, I'm just going to let you in. I hope you're there and we'll play the news in just a moment. But uh, Colin, are you there? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello. Hi, Colin. It's great to have you on the show. Um, just before we play the news, do you want to tell me a very little bit about yourself and uh, your CPD adventures? Yeah, um, basically, I've been teaching for nearly uh, 20 years. We, you know, woo, um, I'm, uh, I am Colin, loud and clear too. Thank you very much, Lesson Copy. Sorry, it's great. You've got, I've, got, I've got my phone and all these things are happening at the same time. Brilliant. Anyway, I digress. But going back to your question, I've been teaching for nearly 20 years as a primary school teacher. Um, in, in the south of England, um, ranging from year one up to year six. Um, but with the whole CPD adventures, basically I've been exploring the whole new range of qualifications that suddenly burst onto, burst onto the internet since, uh, especially after lockdown, um, especially with the Chartered Teaching Programme and also National Professional uh, Qualification and Leading Teacher Development. I'm coming to the end, hopefully, of the Chartered Teaching Programme, but it's been really insightful about about how, um, how you become a more accomplished teacher, I suppose, but also how you become a, a, a more expert teacher educator and how to successfully support other teachers to improve their own teaching practice. So that's where I am at the moment in the world of CPD, basically. Excellent, brilliant introduction. Thank you, Colin. I'm gonna go now to the news and we'll come back in about seven or eight minutes to have our conversation. Looking forward to speaking to you in a moment, Colin. Lovely, thank you. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. During his visit to Northern Ireland, US President Joe Biden suggested in a speech at Ulster University that students are increasingly persuaded to stay at home rather than seek careers abroad. The speech, reported in the Belfast Telegraph, refers to young people, instead of fleeing for opportunities elsewhere, can see their futures and careers for themselves that speak to unlimited possibilities here. 
However, the article goes on to feature comments from Anne Watt, Director of Political Research Group Pivotal, who says that whilst she welcomed the positive nature of the comments, Northern Ireland still has a long way to go before the battle to keep the most promising students can be won. She went on to say there is evidence in her organisation's research that significant economic migration could be worsening, not improving. The problem of young people leaving Northern Ireland to study elsewhere and not returning has been around for years, and many seem to see the President's words as aspirational rather than accurate. Ms Watts also raised the point that as students leave Northern Ireland, other students from the UK and further afield are not coming in the same numbers. The country, therefore, cannot retain or regain talent, and political instability has not helped matters. In order for Northern Ireland to meet the aspirations raised in Biden's speech, talent needs to stay at home. The Daily Mirror reports on figures released by the Department for Education, which show more than 140,000 schoolchildren were severely absent in the summer of 2022. The paper refers to these young people as ghost children and raises concerns that this pattern is continuing in the current academic year. The Department for Education says the term severely absent refers to children of school age who are not receiving a suitable education either with a teacher or homeschooling. They are usually those with attendance below 50%. The reasons for being away from school include anxiety, mental health, special educational needs and disabilities, but concerns arise around young people who are likely extremely vulnerable. Last year, the Children's Commissioner also released a report focusing on school attendance, but according to DfE figures, attendance to schools across England has largely failed to recover to pre-pandemic levels. Latest figures released by the DfE has persistent absence at 22.4%. These are pupils with below 90% attendance, although this is suggested as being a result of illness towards the end of the autumn term. According to FE Week, the Department for Education has launched a £1 million contract for an organisation to drive new T-level employment placements. The documents explain that the DfE is seeking a potential supplier to engage with employers to develop their knowledge and understanding of T-levels, as well as helping them to plan and prepare to deliver high-quality industry placements. T-level courses were first launched in 2020 and feature a mandatory placement with an employer totalling 45 days or 315 hours. There are now 16 T-levels available with another two due to launch this September. As the provision of the qualifications has grown, so has the need for placements. The DfE has offered financial support to employers offering placements, but uptake has not been high, as employers cite red tape and cost pressures as reasons the courses are unattractive. Finally, as the row over teacher pay and conditions as well as concern over recruitment continues, the Evening Standard featured a report on Londoners turning their back on teaching and flocking to better paid jobs in the city. A combination of the availability of better paid jobs and the high cost of living in the capital is putting Londoners off teaching, according to school leaders. Whilst a DfE spokesperson spoke about the bursaries and scholarships on offer for those training in key subjects such as maths, physics and computing, many took to social media to highlight the issues facing teachers in the capital, such as the difficulty in buying or renting property when the average teacher salary in Inner London is £47,000 but the average property price is over £600,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, this week I'm going to talk about hidden spy cameras. Do you know who is filming you? Modern cameras can be as small as a pinhead and embedded in things like pens, buttons, and while researching this, I even found one built into the centre of a crosshead screw. Online shopping sites blatantly sell spying devices such as smoke alarms with built-in spy cameras. There have been high-profile cases in the media of people misusing spy cameras, but as I investigated further, one statistic stood out. 11% of people that use Airbnb reported finding hidden cameras. As I continue to dig around for a UK statistic, the figure dropped to 10%. That's one in 10 people. Now, obviously, this is not solely limited to Airbnb. They just seem to be the company that has the most media coverage. So, for those of you that are concerned, my next investigation was how to detect a hidden camera. Here are the top pieces of advice I've found. You can buy devices that are designed to detect cameras. They start at about £40 and utilise most of the other methods I'm about to talk about. You can buy an app for your phone. If worried, don't buy it before you go. Some apps have a free trial period. Use that to scan the areas you're concerned with. Visual checks. Look for items that seem out of place. A clock pointing at the bed. A random USB dongle in a wall socket. Shine your phone torch at suspected items. Camera lenses will light up, helping you identify them. In the dark, a lot of cameras will use infrared to continue to get pictures. This can be seen via your phone camera. Look through your phone around the room in the dark and watch for suspicious dots of light. Please remember, if we turn this statistic around, 9 out of 10 places are not covertly trying to film you, and that statistic was good enough for very popular cat food in the past. As always, if you have a tech question, why not send it to at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Remember, if you're listening in live and would like to join us either live or to post questions in the chat for Colin to answer, or if you want to call in and speak to us, then please download the Podbean app and visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage. This will take you directly to the show. There you can post comments and ask questions during our conversation. Once I've spoken to Colin, I'll open up to any of you who want to call in. You can call in by pressing the icon at the top of the screen on your phone's app. Click this and I'll be able to connect you. I'll be talking to Colin a bit more about his CPD journey right now. Colin, welcome back. Hi, Catherine. (laughs) Hi, thank you so much for for joining us this evening. Um, We've been having a bit of a chat off air over WhatsApp the last couple of days and uh, I'm just so interested to hear about your thoughts um have you been teaching today i have been teaching today absolutely um obviously teaching after easter uh been in class yeah uh, hitting the ground running so to speak Definitely. yes holiday what holiday uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fortnight away from the classroom so i think it's a good start isn't it <laughs> i know i know i just like you know it, it, it hits you uh very hard yesterday i had a five period day after landing back at stansted very late um in the evening so yesterday was interesting but today uh hopefully we're all back on track um yeah. it's, it's so great of you to join us tonight colin um i just wondered if you could set the scene for our listeners um and let us know what a typical day or week is for you as far as your teaching and um, uh, is concerned and then we'll move on to thoughts of CPD in a moment. Yeah um, basically for me I suppose like like a majority of primary school teachers um, you're you're basically rushing yourself trying to get yourself ready in the morning I've got two kids uh, so trying to organize them as well one four-year-old one one one-year-old so 
trying to get them ready for, for school, got one who's hesitant getting changed and what have you, and then rushing out the door, so bye to, to my children and wife, and then quickly nipping down the motorway to get to school, and doing the whole lesson prep, I'm sure I'm sure uh, many teachers out there will be listening to this, nodding their heads, they know what it's like, and having uh, unexpected um, messages and what have you, trying to catch up in emails and so forth, and then basically about 8.40, kids come in and off we go, we, we teach, uh, throughout the whole day until about three o'clock when we send the kids home to say goodbye and then rounding everything up from the day and then to sorting things out with my colleagues before we get ready for our next round of sorting things. It depends on activities that need to be sorted out at home, you know, or at school ready for the next day or any anything big or anything significant in terms of events happening, you know, for the next day or for the week ahead. Um, but in terms of CPD, it varies. You know, um, so if I was to talk about CPD as we have in school, for example, it, it'd be it, what we would I would call staff meetings, for example, uh -huh. or it might be attending a course, or it might be um, gathering around as a year group uh, during PPA, discussing new ways of the, um, uh, new educational approaches or new teaching methods, or reviewing lessons uh, for for the week ahead, or even looking at things that do work or may not work or any problems that the children may have had in terms of their learning. So they've got that kind of CBD. But if you talk about the other side of CBD, as in, uh, for example, like I've just completed the um, MPQ LTD result awaiting, I mean, that would be more, that would be a bit ad hoc, if that makes uh, sense. So some evenings it might be a bit more free, so therefore I might be able to do a little bit more in terms of studying uh, on the online course. Um, so like this would often approach. Uh, other times it might be, yeah, I, I won't be able to sit down as much as I would in terms of looking around the MPQ course. But basically it's it's, it's that kind of um, flexible approach that, that I certainly like in particular with online learning rather than having to rigidly having to attend a lecture every now and then. The school's been supportive in terms of me having time um, with face-to-face -face, uh, sessions, you know, during the school day. Um, which is led by the MPQ uh, provider. Um, so, you know, there is that, 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 that uh, informed support from the school as well where needed. Oh, that's really brilliant. Thank you, Colin. I'm really interested. Um, I actually facilitate on the, uh, the NPQ LTD, so I know a bit about that course. Oh. And I wonder if you could just, um, there's a couple of things I want to draw out from what you've just said. The first of which is, uh, I, I quite, I find it very interesting how you almost, seem to categorize staff meetings in with CPD and uh, I've, I've found that before some people say to me that they they kind of can't always tell the difference between a staff meeting and their CPD. Um, I wonder what distinction would you draw between functional conversations with staff where it's very procedural and admin-y and the actual CPD element of it and then we'll talk about the MPQ in just a moment. Okay well in my mind uh, if you've got CPD okay you, it can either be very much directed so the school might for example might have an issue on, oh, I don't know, let's say uh, the use of uh, meta memory ac across the school. Mm -hmm. So therefore there would be training from the school, guidance in terms of uh, the theory, uh, what research has shown, so avoiding confirmation bias, allowing teachers to, to have an input into what works within their classrooms, and then emolding it to fit the ethos of the school. 
for me in particular, going back to what you said about CPD, some people say staff meeting, others say CPD. I like, I like to thin it out further in terms of CPD and professional learning. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, CPD is an organization or another individual having a, a conversation with you individually or as a collective and saying, actually, this is what we need to do next against a particular criteria. It could be, for example, dare I say the word Ofsted, so uh -huh. it might be something meeting with that. I haven't heard any booze yet, so we're good off on that front. <laughs> or it might be against the teaching standards, okay? We need to look at Section 7, for example, you know, behaviour management. Okay, what can we do to improve that? With professional learning, however, I feel, and, and this is a very biased viewpoint here, I like to add, mm. it's more about you as an individual. What interests you, okay? in terms of you as a professional what is it that you like to explore more what it actually engages you what is it that what that you want to challenge yourself more and then as a result I mean maybe we should be discriminative but you've got CPD and you've got professional learning so for me it's about how you make CPD a bit more interesting for you in terms mm. of professional learning now for me within the school that I work for you know and the trust that the school's with I actually find quite a lot of the ideas, you know, interesting, engaging and relevant, most importantly, for the children in, in the classroom. So, so it's less what I call um, political motivation, but a lot more about actually how can we improve the quality of teaching? How can we improve the quality of learning? So for me, the CPD eventually becomes professional learning because I find that is engaging for me. I find that interesting. I find it relevant. It's also how do I develop as a, as a professional? Mm. Someone once asked me about how do you, for, for that length of time, 20 years in the classroom almost, how do you keep on top of it? And the truth of the matter is, it's about they call it a growth mindset but it's about mm -hmm. being flexible it's having that openness to evolve your teaching practice you know there's highs there's lows but it's ensuring that you keep your teaching practice to a particular standard but that works for you as an individual it, not just in terms of meeting a standard but you as 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 a per as a person so we all got different personalities so different approaches would work for you it's a bit like the children in the classroom or the mm. students depending whether it's higher education or or to, to early years but obviously they would have preference to how they would be how they would like to learn so it's basically a mishmash of everything but going back to the whole cpd and professional learning being discriminative for me i try and integrate it together but in a nutshell, in summary, CPD is a bit more about what you're being provided, what, what it yes. is that you're being told, okay? And then professional learning is more about self-interest. It could be for career goals, it could be career gains. It might be something intrinsic in terms of professional satisfaction even. Or maybe it might be a little thing, a bit like recently I looked into metamemory and metacognition in terms mm. of how can we make that more effective for the children. Just therefore, you can, it's that kind of intrinsic satisfaction, as I said earlier, in terms of, wow, these guys are making progress. And then you get that job satisfaction in return. No, that's that's really interesting. Thank you, Colin. Um, it's quite fascinating because I've been looking quite a lot at the idea of uh, teacher professionalism and what you're saying rings quite true to me in terms of how people um, sort of see themselves as professional teachers in terms of having a growth mindset and being research engaged. Um, there's an argument to say that 
if you're really engaged in your professional learning and see yourself as, as you say, having a growth mindset, that that can actually be a bit of a buffer from some of the sort of symptoms of burnout that some people report. What would you say um, to someone who was feeling cynical and burnt out, perhaps, um, who's complaining about um, some of the structured CPD that's sort of um, offered in your in your school? Is that a conversation you would ever find yourself having, do you think? Fortunately, um, I'm going to say no. I'm in a very more fortunate position. However, it's more about teacher workload, for example. Yeah. It depends on the priorities. It depends on the pressures people are having. It depends on the relationship between the, the person who's leading the, the conversation, the CPD uh, discussions. It, it depends also if the person leading the CPD um, uh, presentation, if you will, has a strong understanding about the context of the organisation that teachers are, are working in. So uh, I've worked in many schools and, um, and a big number of them, if I'm being honest, have been very good because the people who led the CPD, whether they're teachers or senior leaders, they have a very strong understanding what is going on in the classroom. And they can actually, to a certain extent, emphasize the pressures that you as a professional you know, is experiencing. So, they, so therefore, they would actually prioritise over what's more important to to the CPD and what is it. But also giving you the time to embed that practice as well, having an opportunity to explore what works, but also what doesn't work as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a two-way conversation. We talk about in the classroom, for example, when we're using assessment for learning. When you're teaching to the children, you want the com- you want basically the feedback back from the children to find out is that working for you? Do you understand that? Yes or no? Okay, let's have a bit more time on you know together in the teaching inputs to until you've understood that concept and in in, in when you're using self-evaluation as well methods with the children and for me that is important i feel with cpd as well to have that two-way conversation so when you're coaching for example like i've done with an ect or trainee teachers you're having those open what and how questions now i know it's a bit i know if you've got the the scale i'm sure some of you appreciate like mentoring to coaching uh, i know it's it's different to when you're having a group conversation but the thing is it's about that communication process going on and mm. i think if you have that communication process going on if you've got the empathy as well uh, two-way thing and it is nerve-wracking well you know don't get me wrong i've left staff meetings and i think oh crikey but you know where you're going with everything you know what it is that you want to deliver but more importantly you know your context and in to a certain extent You've done your research as well, informal research, about how this could go. As a result, you might find that the CBD would become a golden nugget for that session, for the teachers that you have in the, in the session. For example, you know, when you're teaching children, if you're teaching something that they know already, what's the point? And so therefore you're regurgitating the, you know, the old stuff. So therefore, it's a bit like that for CPD. If you're teaching a group of people something that they know already or they don't find useful, so what? So therefore, that's where I felt like the MPQ LTD came into high relevance for me because it's about more about how could you change the you know not only just about delivering the information or the message or the communication but the ethos of the school as well because i feel part of that part of cbd delivery is having that relationship whether it's through electronically or whether it's through actually face to face but it's more important that whoever's delivering that cbd 
actually understands that this is relevant for, for those who are sitting there, you know, engaging. But also more importantly, it, the people who are sitting there engaging with you actually understand this is something useful. And it's, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because if you've got someone there who's very cynical, heading to burnout, as we said, it's a difficult thing to manage. It is. Yeah, I, um, I, I'd agree with you. I'm just I'm just sorry to interrupt. I'm just really interested to find out because there's a number of those specialist MPQs out there in the market at the moment. And um, I wonder what particularly drew you to the LTD then as opposed to the when well, is it the LT or the LBC? Sorry, too many acronyms. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest here. Let, let's rewind. OK. Um, mm. Before before this sudden explosion of all the different uh, in MPQ qualifications, um, for me originally there was the MPQ um, ML, so it's middle yes. leadership. Okay, and for me I was a bit, oh, you know, it's it, it didn't it didn't mean anything to me. So mm. I had a skit student who who I'm sure like every, every other mentor would say, oh my skit student's fantastic. She was exceptional. And so for me, I, I took on a course which the school had funded. It was the basic coaching course, which was led by Andy Bucks. It was a self-taught course. You know, video yourself having a conversation with the other person that you're coaching, or the coachee, if you will. And then you, you send that video over with a workbooklet. It was moderated by Andy Buck himself. And it ended up with a certificate. But whilst I was mentoring the skit students, I noticed that they offered the MP, uh, MPQ LTD, Leading Teacher Development. Okay. And I was actually pretty interested in that. So, um, so I had feedback from the SCIP provider. They were really happy with everything that, that I was doing. At one point, they were offset as well. They, they, you know, there was a group of us, and I was one of the ones they chosen. You know, were, but it was, it was a lovely conversation. But it led on to the fact that this, that the school who I work for, who I currently work for now, the head of the school was willing to support me to a one one to the power because you needed some kind of reference as well, I believe, to to you know from from the course just to say yes, you know this this guy is 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 appropriate to 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 pursue this course. But I didn't just suddenly jump into it. I, I looked more into it, and what I really liked about it was it was about being a teacher educator, and I yes. feel. Professional learning or CPD, we choose whichever uh, classification you will. I felt it goes hand in hand with the developing um, teachers and training teachers and even TAs confidence, you know. And if their yes. confidence grow, if they have a greater ownership over their personal development, they'll be more confident in the classroom with the students or the children that they are teaching. And then it works out as a two-way process. And they have greater ownership over their growth, their de professional development, their confidence. And as a result, you, you just basically the children benefit from it, the learners themselves. Because the, the key resource in any school is, well, uh, they're going to be people, you know, the adults yes. who work there. Yes, we've got artificial intelligence developing. Yes, you could have online learning. But for, throughout all of that, you still need people because you can assess children. You can. You can use algorithms and so forth. But then there's this other side of it where you need that human interaction. Yes. For example, I have learners who, 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 who get, let's just say, put in layman's terms, they get all the answers right. Okay, let's just say that I, I know it's not right. I can hear some educators shouting, say, no, you don't say that. But anyway, let's just say they got all the answers right. Okay, then they say, yes, I understand, etc. But the body language is saying, no, I don't. 
So it's giving those people the confidence to actually then, right, how can we tackle that problem next? So it's this is, for me, the leading teacher development also allowed me to explore further about not just individuals, not individual adults or groups of adults, but how do you influence professional development across the school? How can you create a, a really strong ethos of adults, you know, or learners, if you will, taking grasp of their professional learning or their professional development and and, and also you get you have a range of people those who might be experiencing problems how would you approach it but what i particularly love also was being updated against the eight teaching um standards as well especially for yes. the itt students and one thing in particular for me <laughs> it was strand two and how a lot of trainee teachers coming through now they have a very strong understanding about metacognition yes, meta memory yes. you know and where someone like me who's not been in the car who's been in the classroom for um for years should we say suddenly you know got these bright guys coming in oh we know about this and i'm, I'm still sitting there thinking i don't <laughs> you know well this is it and this is what i find so it what you know i, I teach on that course i facilitate on that course i think it's so i agree with you i think it's so important to work towards developing that culture of of lifelong yes. learning because it's it's true isn't it that mm. a lot of advancements have been made in neuroscience and metacognition and, and cognitive science that simply weren't you know they didn't really exist in in our field of professional learning did they um you yeah. know 15 20 years ago it's all really very new and uh of course that's filtering through to our trainees coming up and uh you know i'm afraid to say that we do need you know it's 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 almost a moral imperative isn't it to make sure you understand um these sort of new developments because otherwise that you are kind of perpetuating um inequality and disadvantage um, I wonder what you uh, what you thought about going in because having delivered on this session um, on all three sessions and seen the course through, I got my own views about what sort of pattern I see from the delegates, and I'll just sort of tell you what I think. I think session one kind of the scales fall from your eyes and you go, wow, actually, this is massive that I need to know about this. Session two is very much like, right, what can I do? And session three is a little bit like, I feel like I've, I've not overshot, but I feel like I'm now having conversations with people in my school and I want them to come and do this course so that I can talk to them about it. And yeah. uh, I wonder what your perspective on it is. Uh, for me, it's it comes down to, to, to me as an individual and being emotionally aware as well as mm. um, as, as well as having that subject knowledge behind me about the organisation that I'm with. I do feel sometimes it comes out to you as an individual. Where do you stand in your organisation concerned? Are you someone that is taken um, with respect, with, with a degree of seriousness where needed? Or are you to someone that's been looked at in a very different light by, by some teachers? I don't know if that makes any sense. There. Yeah. Um, but for me in particular, um the what the national um a, a professional qualification in leading teacher development has done for me as an individual is to look into more about evidence-based research okay mm -hmm. so, i mean I'll, I, I, was, I was thinking about this on the way home from school i remember when i first started teaching um it, it was about 
uh, different learning styles. So children would listen, children would see, children you know, could actually use, uh, you know, you know, physical approaches, hands-on activities. Yes, yes. Um, but what the um, the, T, the, the this MPQ LTD has done, it made me realise, apart from all the other updated um, information, which was which I found really useful, it actually led me onto the Education Endowment Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, website and it was very evidence-based so you got here for example on their website you've got your teaching and learning kit toolkit on one side you've got the cost the other side you've got the evidence and one of the things in particular that i found was that on the the whole kind of learning styles um they, they're actually saying it's not very effective so mm -hmm. the evidence was actually saying not very good now i'm going to come back to what we were talking about earlier about um, engaging with other teachers what I discovered was that if you got the evidence there from an objective source okay mm -hmm. then therefore and you, in, you know the cost bits okay all right totally understand but if you show the evidence okay um, so actually this is beneficial for the children I think that would actually help the staff motivation more so for example I mean I mean sorry to bang about uh, metacognition but if you've got metacognition self-regulation mm -hmm. you know there was a very high impact and you could add uh, over half a year's worth of progress as a result and but the, the barrier was for for many of us was how do we actually deliver that in a classroom setting yeah. um, and so sometimes it's more about having a go the school I work in they actually give that kind of permission in terms of you know let's try this how about you try that and it's talking through the children and if you and it's, there's usually someone in the school that's like how do you this work for one of the occasions I tried uh, using metacognition observed by senior leader Ali you this works really well those PowerPoint presentations slides were passed on to the other teachers and they've used it as well and they got a better understanding of how metacognition work so building on what you're saying with the mpq ltd it's not always a direct session where i'm talking to individuals it can be informal as well yeah, through, yeah. In, through discussions through sharing ideas through you know uh, emailing each other obviously you don't want to be you know deaf by uh, powerpoint but it's that kind of um, openness, you know, that, that yes. kind of research culture, that evidence-based culture, rather than this is a criteria, get the stick out, bang, 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 this is what we got to do. So going back to my original example about the different learning styles, that's become, I'm not saying out of fashion, but it's somehow been disproved that it's not effective. Whereas feedback, for example, is very effective, but how yeah. do you deliver that feedback is another question. So then you've got workload, uh, you know, to consider. Certainly, what I, my philosophy, I've developed through this MPQ LTD uh, course is about workload. I mean, that was yes. one theme I noticed throughout all that, which I agree. You know, especially if you're now an ECT, you got, you know, you you go doing this online course, you got all of these other things as well. It's certainly a lot more than I was when I was an NQT. It was like one year you know had your observations every um half a term which is like now but the difference was at the end of that year you met your match brilliant off you go you know see you later whereas you've got two years you've got to go do you do think that's course. a that's, do you think that's a benefit though because uh, you know one of the reasons they've lengthened that um induction time 
is, I mean, I don't know if you've come across a phenomenon called practice shock, which uh, some of the research speaks about sort of saying that, you know, you go on your PGCE or your skit mm. or whatever, and you you learn about all of these pedagogical theories and then you hit school and then essentially school hits you um and you're (laughs) you're just trying to survive and there's a there's a a a chap called Fred Corthagen who wrote a really interesting paper in 2017 and he talks a lot about how you know a lot of teachers go into this practice shock and they don't really ever come out of it because um it's just such a treadmill that there's no kind of time for reflection. And he sort of talks about having, having to unpick the the practice shock through coaching conversations and and various methods in order to free up the teacher psychologically again, to be able to be ready to learn, if that makes sense. Um, Do you, do you think that, I mean, what's your view on the, the extended period do you think that that is serving to help ease teachers in or do you think it's still very much a a shock and an overload the the i the idea behind the two-year ect program and correct me if i'm wrong there was an issue about teacher retention now i'm I'm gonna just talk out loud here i can't remember exactly but i think when a teacher qualifies and then enters the classroom, between three and five years of mm-hmm. teaching, they decide to leave and move on. Yeah. So I can't remember the researcher. I do apologise, but the That's key message right. was that CPD was the way forward. Now, for me, when I about 20 years ago, I first started my uh, teaching career in an inner city school. It was a small inner city school, and it was a, a, a really high portion of children that had English as additional language but the ethos of the school allowed me to find my feet as an individual as a teacher I was allowed mm-hmm. to make mistakes but also allowed to try other things as well yes there are moments where I need to have a chat with the mentor you know Colin come on you know <laughs> but the thing was I was allowed to make those mistakes yes also let's look at it now and compare it to back then I'll tell you now that if I experienced an officer inspection 20 years ago it would have been a bit more, it still would have been daunting, don't get me wrong, but the criteria back then was very different how they did things compared mm. to now. So back then, it was a bit more like, what were you doing as a teacher? It was just coming on to the end of that, okay? What are you doing as a teacher? What is it? So it was, it was almost like a tick list, okay? Right, teacher's done that, teacher's done this, all the children are behaving, great, tick, 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 lovely, brilliant, well Are done. you talking about you know, the, the period between about uh 2010 and 2019 yeah. where you yes. had to show that uh, 20 minutes of progress yes 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 it was yes that was an interesting yeah. time wasn't it absolutely and so therefore the spotlight went off from the teacher onto the children now during that time i might be completely wrong but society changes you know the nature mm. of the children uh, and then when we got to the to to uh, lockdown 2020 as a result there was a period where uh, children were not coming into school you know there was a lot of online learning so if you were an ECT or an APT around that period sorry I do apologize I can't remember when but the thing was it's you okay. had you had that kind of period of this is very unusual and it was a very mm-hmm. pressured moment as well unusual it was unusual but it was very much a period where it was a lot of uncertainty and then now, if you look at it now, you, there's a, I'm sure several other teachers will say the same. 
potentially behavior is different, there are gaps in children's learning because they miss certain parts of schooling because they're at home, you know, it's a bit ad hoc. So for now, for a newly qualified teacher, there, there are a lot more different pressures than there used to be when I first qualified. Also on top of that, you look at the offset criteria, I know it's changed again, but there, it, it's a bit more uncertain. There is a bit more higher stakes, I yes. feel, with that. So that, so chances are the younger teachers are feeling that. But I, I could see the idea, though, behind it. The mm. education minister at the time, whether he, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, that's enough discussion altogether. But I, <laughs> I could see this individual in particular, um, I, I could see his viewpoint about the whole CPD idea. But then when you're trying to nationalise it, you, you're creating a course, obviously they spent time on it, and these are the things they need to work on through the teaching strands, okay? Mm. Two years, so you can embed that practice, if you will, and then hopefully by the third year, you, they'll be feeling a bit more um, understandable. Now, for me, I think it's great, but it comes down to the organisational school that the people work for. If you, for example, got two teachers, you've got one teacher working in a very small, I'm going to use primary school as a context, okay, for me. Yeah. So you've got one teacher, teacher A, working in a very small primary school, and they got to do everything. They got to plan the English, the maths, the science, you know, all the subjects, and they're on their own. And it's, I mean, let's add in a, an extra twist, and it's a mixed year group. That's a lot more pressure compared to, say, for example, someone who might be in a free class intake in one year group. So they can share the load, they can share the workload, they can share the ideas. So it comes down to context as well. Also, I feel it depends on the environment they're in, how supportive they are, and also the individuals themselves, how resilient mm. they are, or how much experience they may have had in terms of interacting with children prior to actually um, teacher development as well. But there's so much um, that, that people can do to support these individuals, like you say, food coaching, which I agree. But also at the same time, though, it comes down to, uh, I mean, I'm being completely biased here now. So, uh, you know, please challenge me. But <laughs> it comes down to, to the environment they're working in. It comes down to their philosophy, their attitude, their resilience. But also, in particular, what challenges they've been presented. You know, some people have, you know, challenging classes, really challenging classes. Mm, they seem yeah. to thrive. You've got others who sort of took a half hearted approach in teaching and then gone this is not for me it's it's a lot of verbal factors i'm just talking out loud here from yeah from no that, that's that's absolutely know. great i mean i was just really interested there's a there's a theory uh mcchesney and aldrich um they released a paper in 2019 i think and it was all about um what gets in the way of professional learning and uh they sort of characterize professional development as um as the activity and the learning as the change in teacher behavior. And uh, they kind of identified all these barriers. And the first of them is, you know, your part-time and the, the, the trainings on your day off. So that's a barrier because you can't go to it. Yes. And it goes all the way through to, you know, there's a complicated psychological theory and you just don't understand it. So you, mm -hmm. you, you kind of have this maladaptation where you kind of present it in a, in a way which looks like, very superficially what it's supposed to be but it as isn't actually effective all the way through to you know you don't like the trainer because you don't think they're credible all the way past that to you know you like the ideas there but you think your class is too naughty or, or whatever it is you you feel that it's not appropriate for your learners or they're saying use it and you haven't got enough computers and um i think those kinds of um 
barriers. Um, I think it's really interesting to try and think about if you think there there are blocks to teacher professional learning, you know, where are they? Um, I just wondered, I, I know I've just thrown that at you, uh, mm. Colin, but I wonder what you make of that theory. Have you got any ideas or thoughts? I think I'm, I'm going to use, I'm going to build on what you said. Um, I remember it was about, oh, it, you, had the, you had the Lib Dem, uh, Lib, Liberal Democrats joining the, the Conservative parties yeah. in, in, in 2010 um, and then Labour went off and, and basically it was around that point when I think it was about 2014 I like to say 2015 when I think it was Sir Michael uh, the head of Ofsted yeah, Michael, um, Sir Michael Wilshaw Michael Wilshaw that's the guy now he did come up with some good pointers you know like I remember he came up with the rule of thumb you got engaged challenge and progress you know in in, in mm. lessons that happen you know what and he and to be fair he did simplify some things and actually there are some things I thought actually they're very good pointers but the key concern was and I remember listening on the radio at the time was he introduced this new offset criteria like that straight away and it was an expectation for teachers to suddenly jump onto that you know up to that next step yes and, and, and he, he said as well that um if we were upset by it then it was working didn't he yeah, that's it well this is this is what i want to build on and this is another thing i want to reflect on because basically he i remember there were a lot of phone calls and it wasn't teachers actually who were phoning up on this radio station there were a lot of other businesses phoning up saying well i wouldn't expect in my organization people started to jump from there to here overnight mm. i'll give them training I'll, I'll look at what does it look like i'll give them time to look at it but there was an automatic jump up there also building on what you're saying in particular and i totally agree there was a point where you said that if morale's low and the teachers are moaning you're doing your job right now i'm not going to attack senior leaders that's not fair but what it does for me show there was a question over about evidence-informed practice because mm-hmm. good leadership. I'm talking. I mean, I'm not talking about education, but generally, you know, you can have transformational leadership, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, you want a democratic style of leadership. You know, uh, you know, where you're able to have other people's views, and then you can have a collective of towards a vision and a goal. You know, which is right. But what concerns me sometimes is you have a criteria that's it okay if you do these things it's to that standard and then therefore mm. all of these theories go out and that's why i looked at the charter teaching approach because it's about mm. evidence form practice because the mpq ltd made me realize that i had gaps in my knowledge okay i will come back to what you're saying so yeah. looking at like professional knowledge for example developing of teaching practice you know um, education research and inquiry they're all significant. And, and as a result, my philosophy has changed even more as a teacher, not negatively, but positively, but not so much questioning, but actually being discriminative more so in terms of what works, as well as juggling, you know, meeting demands of the teaching learning policy, the expectations, and also whatever criteria that's going on in the background. But building on what you're saying in particular, it's a very much, uh, it's a very in-depth discussion that can mm. happen over time. But at some point, there has to be a line that has to be drawn. We have to accept this. But I, I just feel, you know, it, what, what I've noticed that works better 
is that there is a two-way engagement conversation going on about what works for not only the children, the learners themselves, but also teachers as well. There has to be some form of accountability. It has to be, you know, because, you know, yeah. you don't want, because unfortunately there are some individuals out there that will not do the job regardless yeah. of how, how much you say. But there has to be somehow that degree of realism uh, in terms of what's happening at the moment. But certainly, you know, like I say, there there are good pointers that come out from all of this. But then again, at sometimes you have to sort of stop and go, hang on, is that going to be fully applicable to everyone? I don't know if that makes any sense, really. Yeah, so I, I wonder, I mean, you know, I think there's a couple of things going on there. One, I think you're rejecting, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're rejecting a kind of one-size-fits-all um, yes. mentality and I think most people would agree with that but I think you're also rejecting um, sort of poor change management in a, in a broader mm. sense about how these things you know how they have a lead time how they have um, implementation um, and and I guess I suppose again correct me if I'm wrong is your kind of complaint that there has been occasions where these kinds of sweeping changes have been tried to be applied in a very autocratic um blanket fashion when actually that that kind of misses the point and uh is actually a barrier to proper good professional learning that of the kind that you're engaged in is that yes. accurate i would say yes i mean the place i'm working at the moment you know it, I, I i actually love where i work at the moment mm -hmm. in terms of there's a two-way conversations there are times there has to be look come on guys we have to do this because you know wh wh whatever the reason is in the schools that i really enjoyed working at and there's several of them there is that kind of t there is that degree of realism let's put it that way okay mm -hmm. so you know you're here you're clearly here because you want the children to learn you want the children to develop not just academic academically but socially we understand mm -hmm. that you are working hard and we appreciate that in fact in one school i remember i worked at i mean it was about over 10 years ago the the head teacher called all the teachers in for a meeting and actually told us we're working too hard you know mm -hmm. you, you, you know and that's refreshing she said out of all the years of doing this job I've got to stand here and tell you, stop working hard. You're going to go home promptly tonight. You're not going to take any work home. You know, and, uh, you know, in other schools as well, they have a similar thing there as well. They just say, right, you know what, you got, it, it, they, they offer like half a day off, for example, you know, because you, you've all worked hard. Or in another school, they offered blue sky day, basically. So instead of yeah. an insect day, that day is yours. Off you go, bamoosh. Um, you know, but I know from teachers who have worked in schools, you know, where it's more autocratic, it's it's very much, as you say, one uh, criteria fits all, basically. And the schools try to meet a particular criteria. And I, from what they're saying is it's it's hard work. You know, it can be soul destroying from what they're saying to me. Mm. So, I, I mean, you know, touch wood, I'd be very fortunate, even right now, to work in schools where they're a bit more open-minded that there's still that level of authority and respect, you know, and also expectations as well. But in the same time, there is also that, uh, you know, it's a two-way conversation. You know, yeah. it, you know, there are, there's a lot of good schools out there, not because they're offset good, but actually they're good in terms of how they manage their people and they understand yes. that people are human and they know you as an individual as well. They, they sometimes say, actually, you know what, this role is, you know, completely inappropriate for you because you're not ready for that. You know, it does hurt, but they're doing it to watch out for you. They're looking after you. 
Yeah. On the other hand, however, you do find there are some people who do work in schools, they thrive in that autom- in autocratic environment. I don't know why that is, but they do. They love it, you know, um, you know, wh- whatever, whatever suits anyone. But I feel for me, if we're talking about professional development, going back to that, I mean, it's more important about looking at what, what works for the children, okay? And yeah. also what works for the individual or individual's concern. And, you know, I, I change things to my lesson because of the kids I have, because of me as an individual, but also maybe of the time frame, for example, and might need to catch up on certain things, you know, or something else happened. I don't know, a fire drill, fire drill happened, you know, we all got to go out. A wasp might come in. Is that a wasp? Oh, oh, a hornet. A hornet's a good one. I'll tell you what. Oh, dear. I, I'm an, you know, I taught at a village school once, and you know, and, and it was the first time I ever taught at a village school, and then suddenly this huge hornet came in. I'm not joking, really a big one. And I remember running out <laughs> the classroom, and all the other children just carried on saying, oh, it's up on the roof there, so don't worry about it. But you know, but <laughs> I digress. But the, the thing is, though, I think it, it comes down to the individual, comes down to the environment, the ethos. The people in the organisation, there are a lot of good, you know, a lot of nice schools out there, organisations who are very flexible and open-minded. They obviously have to meet the criteria. You know, there has to be a level of accountability. I think some might take it a bit more further than others. I don't yeah. know if that makes any sense, really. No, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, we've got about seven and a half minutes left, and mm. I wonder if there's anybody listening who wants to quickly just share any of their views or ask ask us any questions about our discussion tonight. Please do feel free to call in if you'd like to. Um, While we just give people a moment to engage if they wish, um, I just wonder, Colin, uh, if you had to choose the most engaging um, CPD session or professional learning that you've engaged in, um, what would it be? For me, it would Mm -hmm. be what I call education research and inquiry. So, you know, in a situation where... Uh, in your context, in your classroom, it, it, for me, I can give it as an example, right? The situation was, um, was was to encourage children to engage in metacognition effectively. So the task was to find ways of delivering metacognition more effectively. And it, it, it wasn't just simply, oh, we're just going to go off and do it, but it was, it was several stages. So for me in particular, it was about developing uh, and reflecting upon my current practice before engaging in cycles deliberate practice to refine my approach and, and expertise in metacognition. Um, and as a result, it was able to, I was able to go back to looking at some of the research, having feedback from observers, putting that information together and reviewing the practice and going back and actually delivering that metacognition approaches, if you will, more so, but more importantly, seeing at the end of the process of deliberate practice, developing my teacher expertise, as a result, seeing the, the evidence of the children statistically and also, mm. you know, uh, from the quality viewpoint that they improve. So it's very much a self-governed evidence-informed action plan. But in terms of directed learning, I mean, you've got the MPQLTD. I enjoyed that because I can dip in and out wherever I wanted to. But in terms of actually face-to-face um, uh, learning, it can either be coaching. You know, I find that, I find that really useful, whether it's mm-hmm. with someone who is, um, higher up the ladder, so to speak, or who who are as an equal as a class teacher, or actually in a whole in a whole uh, a staff meeting session where the information is relevant and it's put into context and it's actually something that is meaningful. So I'm not talking about airy fairy kind of thing. For example, we're struggling trying to get um, uh, the reasoning and problem solving up 
or here's an approach that we can use. And it's very much something that we can all take on and it's accessible for all of us as professionals. Oh, that's really brilliant. I'm going to, this is a cheeky question, Colin. I'm going to give you a moment just to think about it. But Mm. here goes. Would you consider this experience of coming on Teacher Talk Radio um, a CPD professional learning event? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Well, for me, I would say it is. And I know you gave me a moment to have a little think, but I've jumped the gun there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I mean, for me... um, I like to believe I'm a, I'm a reflective practitioner. Mm-hmm. And part of, of reflection is through discussion. Now, you, you, I've got a captive audience, that's yourself in particular, <laughs> and I've got other people as well. However, what you've done is you've challenged my thinking. And I feel that's part of professional learning. So these are my views at the moment. Now, don't forget, we all got views, values, and opinions of the world around us, okay? In this case, with discussion with this discussion with education, I've presented my opinions across, okay? Some people say they're biased or not. But in return, I'm talking to you, you know, who clearly have a very in-depth ideas about professional learning. You know, you you led the MPQLTD, for example. You know, you, you got a master's in education. But what you've done is you've actually reflected back and saying, actually, this you've got these things as well. I'm understanding you're saying this and that. Is that true? Is that not? So for me, with with uh, with this radio station, I think it's a valuable resource, especially tonight for me, as a as a talker, you know, as a guest. That actually, I've sat down, and gone. Actually, you challenged me with my thinking there. I've actually, you know, you challenged my viewpoint on certain things, but also looking at the the, the aspects of my professional knowledge and understanding it is secure in in some aspects actually there are other aspects now i like to explore further but also it's developing that confidence to talk to someone like yourself through a different medium you know and you know i know we, we had little chats on whatsapp but having that opportunity to talk out loud and then mm. someone coming back and saying actually this is a mirror of your ideas and your views what about this? What about that? So I think it's been a great experience for me. You know, hopefully for the Brilliant. listeners, they, they've oh. had a good experience as well. <laughs> it's just, just just therapy for us, isn't it, Colin? Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, well, I'm going to wrap things up now. I'm just going to um, play a little um, outro before wrapping things up. So thanks very much to Colin for joining us. Oh, it's been you. really brilliant to hear from you. Um, I'm just going to play a little jingle and then I'll sign off. So thanks again. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! And that's all from me for tonight. Thank you so much to Colin for his really insightful and interesting comments. And I'm so glad that uh, you did feel that you were having a mirror held back up at you. I think it's so important to have these professional conversations. So I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. And uh, thank you very much. Do join again if you want to get in touch again in the future. I'd be really happy to have you on. So this brings us to the end of today's Late Late Show. Many thanks to today's special guest, Colin Rudgley, and to all of you who've joined us live. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week. Join me again fortnightly at the same time. Bye-bye for now.
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. And thanks again for listening. See you again soon. Bye-bye.